This is ContactTalkRadio.com. Consciousness in action. And you are taking action into your consciousness by tuning into Contact Talk Radio. And on TuneIn.com, Ying.fm, and Upsnap Mobile. Contact Talk Radio. Hey, this is Al Cole from CBS Radio thanking you once again for taking time out of your hectic schedules to tune in to another fantastic weekly episode of Living Fearlessly with Lisa McDonald. Another shout-out of wholehearted gratitude to Living Fearlessly with Lisa McDonald's corporate sponsors, Helton Honda, Forever, and Aha That. Your reviews, clicks, shares, downloads, feedback, and testimonials are always appreciated. Lisa's purpose and mission is to uplift you to fearless and to live more. To appear as a prospective guest on Living Fearlessly with Lisa McDonald or to connect with Lisa regarding her suite of products and services, you can reach Lisa at livingfearlesslywithlisa.com. So for now, hey, our fearless friends, here's Lisa Living Fearlessly with Lisa McDonald. Good morning, everybody. Thank you so very much for joining me, rejoining me again on this lovely Friday morning. My name is Lisa McDonald, host of Living Fearlessly with the Contact Talk Radio Network. Listenership spans to 145 countries, 220 TV radio terrestrial satellites, and the potential for millions of iTunes downloads. Once again, we are joined, rejoined by returning guest Marnie Allison. So what can I tell you about Marnie? Well, in 2015, Marnie Allison retired from a career designing police training and launched a new career as an intrepid traveler and author. Marnie has experienced the range of travel from luxury cruises to sleeping in a swag on the ground. She is a storyteller who will regale you with stories of drama, joy, and tragedy, and she'll share tips and techniques to help you get the most out of any journey you plan. But what she really loves is the transformative power of travel. This theme permeates in her debut book, How a Gorilla, Orphan, and Monk Saved My Life. In her second book, Your Amazing Itty Bitty Travel Solo Book, 15 Strategies to Enhance Traveling Alone, publication still pending, she provides practical tips for planning and executing a solo journey. Marnie is currently working on her third book, Little Bird Learns to Fly, an illustrated short story that examines if there is something more we are supposed to do with our lives. What is it that gives our lives meaning? And how do we transition from success to fulfillment, from security to courage, and from dreams to destiny? You might think this interview is all about travel. If so, you would be very wrong. It is about a journey, however, a journey we are all on. In these times of pandemic, social unrest, and economic upheaval, understanding the transformative power of travel to learn about the world and ourselves is more important than ever. So very true. Welcome to Living Fearlessly once again. Marnie, how are you, my friend? I'm great, Lisa. Thank you, and I'm thrilled to be here. Well, it's lovely to have you. This has been on the calendar for months now. So the fact that this day is upon us, is uh, it's exciting for me. So, you know, let's talk about some of what we all are currently facing, what we know is in existence and has been in the world. Uh, but it's coming to light once again, and, and more so with a vengeance, whether we're talking about how people are being impacted uh, and impeded by the global pandemic, how some people are looking upon that as an opportunity uh, to hone things, to get creative. 
uh, to count the blessings in their life rather than to look at all the, the duress and the stress and the upheaval, as well as what's going on with racial relations. And of course, with you having worked in the police, I would love to hear before we delve into your book specifically, what your thoughts are, how this is all resonating with you, the impact this has had on you and some of the imparted wisdom you may wish to share with the listening audience. Wow. Okay. <laughs> uh, dive into the deep end right off the top. You got it. Um, <laughs> well, you know, it's an interesting thing. So for me personally, it's, it's a difficult thing to listen to the dialogue that's going on because I understand, I understand what police are trying to say and I understand the pain that people are screaming. They are literally screaming in pain mm-hmm. and we are watching, um, unprecedented footage of things that are happening and uh, particularly in the United States and the death of, um, you know, that we've seen of, of people and it's unexplainable. And I think most police officers in Canada would agree. We simply cannot comprehend what we've seen in some cases. Mm-hmm. And so for me, I spent my career working inside the system, trying to find ways to eradicate what we know is systemic racism. So there are a lot of things that have happened historically that are all attempts to move forward. And the question to me then becomes, despite all of these steps that we've taken, why is it still happening? Mm-hmm. Why, why, aren't, why aren't these things working? And one of the things that I have been trying to say to people is, what is the conversation you want to have? Do you have a conversation of blame and discredit and um, anger, or do you want to have a problem-solving discussion? Do you want to find ways to really get at what goes on and why these things exist? Systemic racism exists in our society. That's talking about laws and policies and ways that we approach education, health, policing, Uh, Everything that permeates our life is bound by systemic racism. Mm -hmm. And when you're a traveler, you see how that plays out in different countries. And sometimes that plays out in very big, violent political movements. And sometimes it plays out in in inequities that are much more subtle. And, And so in policing in Canada, what I see is that the average officer is trying very hard they're working to try and understand. And the people who are working within the system are working to try and make the changes that they believe are necessary. The question then is, why is it not working? Mm-hmm. Are we not having the right conversation? Are we not having the right conversation with the right people? Are we having the conversation but ignoring it? I hear people calling out for more training. Training is done within the system. It's a repetition of what we know. If you want to change systemic racism, you have to change the systems. Now, there's also the need to distinguish between what is racism, systemic racism, and then what is discrimination and prejudice. Prejudice comes out of the way our brain functions. And so we all have it. It's a natural way of sorting information. And then discrimination is about what do we do with that information and how do we act? And do we act in ways despite the fact that we have information that discredits what we think? There's all sorts of literature in the neuroscience world that talks about 
cognitive bias, about confirmation bias, about all the ways that we think and act to support the comfort levels of our world. It happens at the brain structure level Mm -hmm. and it happens at societal level. So the challenge that I always say if people want to talk about it now is we have to sit down, we have to acknowledge the anger and the pain, and we have to ask the hard questions. So why is this happening and why is it happening now? Well, it's happening now because we've got a world that's in chaos and all of our usual structures of comfort have been disrupted and the cracks are visible. So this is the time. Do we just accept it or do we actually move in meaningful ways? Fantastic. Well put. Um, What I will say to that, Marnie, is, you know, listeners, as, as I am, because I'm a student of life, I'm always open to other people's perspectives. And, and particularly when you've got uh, the personal inside history of having worked in the, play, uh, the, in the police department and, and working with the training component. So, you know, like, what is, what do you believe the disconnect? Like, I understand we're in it where, you know, we're in a paradigm shift. Everything is being shook, uh, shaken up. Everything that was previously broken is coming to life. It's magnified. There's no disputing it. There's no ignoring it. We know that racism is longstanding. It it dates back to I don't even know when. So this isn't new, but it's it's full on. Everything is full on magnified and it's going full throttle. So, you know, when we look at police officers, law enforcement, um, you know, I'm sure most people who got into that profession, it was for, you know, legitimate, credible, integral reasons. But what is the disconnect? Like, what is it fear? Is it fear because people have bought into all these um, false beliefs and false concepts and, and taboos associated with skin color? Do You know, what is the breakdown that steps outside of people going, okay, we're still fundamentally, it's human being to human being. So why then is power being abused in such a way that it's now leading and caught, not now, but continues to lead to death and carnage uh, and cycles repeating themselves? And and, and in people's minds, optically speaking, things don't seem to ever change, regardless of training, regardless of people's good intentions, regardless, regardless, regardless. You know, what is it about black people or Asians or Hispanics um, or any other nationality or skin color outside of being Caucasian that perceivably is presenting as a threat? Like, what is this? I wish I had that answer. I would be uh, um, not not doing what I'm doing if I was. <laughs> um, <laughs> I think there's a couple of things to say. First of all, racism is about power. Yes. Um, And so when you have systemic racism, it is always based on power. And the notion that it's one race against other races is a little bit misleading because we know that racism has operated in other countries, for example, Mm -hmm. where um, skin color is not an issue. They may share the same skin color. They may share the same cultural backgrounds. it takes a certain form in Canada and the United States because of the way our social economic history has developed. And so, of course, you know, I I can't say a lot about America, but in Canada, I can talk a bit about, you know, for example, the way that Indigenous peoples were treated 
the ways in which the treaties were signed and, and the way that the Indian Act has imposed certain forms of behavior on people and how those structures then lead to the characteristics that put First Nations people, for example, in front of police more often, that put the, um, the Black community in front of police more often. And so the natural experience that you're going to have is that if you have people who are living in the circumstances that we as society um, deem not acceptable or not valuable, and we keep them out of the dialogue of success and out of the economic uh, engine in some ways, then it's natural that that confrontation is going to occur. At the end of the day, the police are an instrument of the state and their purpose is to sustain the control of the state to a level of, of um, stability. Mm -hmm. So when there's a breakdown, it's natural that those two forces are going to come against each other. In Canada, we have human rights. We've done a number of things. And the, the work of most people, and this is not just police officers, this is all Canadians. We actually embrace that. We believe it. We think that we're living it. And we really are trying hard from that good person perspective. The, the question that's coming up now is that that's not enough. Mm -hmm. Because if, if you have something like the Indian Act on the books and it controls the lives of a group of people in ways that are different than other groups of people and those choices that the, it gives limit what other people can access, you immediately are going to have conflict. Now, what happens at the individual level? There's a lot of things and I'm not an expert in that. I can't, I can't describe all of those things. I can say that I have worked in the policing world and seen some incredible um, connections occur mm -hmm. in very uncomfortable situations. So we used to do a training session. We would go out to one of the reserves outside of Regina and we would provide the opportunity for our officers to take part in a sweat lodge. We would give them no information other than what they needed to physically prepare. That's a tough thing for a group of people who really like to be in control of things. <laughs> and, and then I would say to them, trust me, I'm going in there with you and I would not take you if I did not trust the community we're working with. And then we would go into a sweat lodge and we would go through the ceremony and at the end of it, we would have a conversation. Officers had no idea who was in that sweat lodge with them. Twice we had uh, someone in the sweat lodge who had just had a major confrontation with police. So in the one case, it was a young person. And as part of his social justice, the community had said to him, you must attend the sweat lodge with these police officers. He was not happy about mm, that I because bet. his his experience with police was all negative. Mm -hmm. We go out to the sweat. He was already in the sweat. He was in a certain place that he was a little bit separated from everybody. And in we go. We do the sweat. It's the hottest sweat I have ever been through. <laughs> it's an incredible experience. We, we finish the formal ceremony. We open the door and we start the dialogue. And 
we're having this chat and the officers are expressing their gratitude and trying to understand more about what has just occurred and what is the significance of it and what do the people in this sweat lodge want the officers to learn from this experience. And out of the back comes this voice and it says, I didn't know that police officers could be like this. Wow. And there's dead silence and everybody kind of goes, well, who's this, right? Who is this person? And they start talking and they have a dialogue. And it turns out that this person has served time. He's a young offender and he's served time for assaulting a police officer. Again, it goes dead silent in the, in the sweat. Well, everybody processes this and says, well, what does this mean? Now we're having this conversation. This is a breaking point with this kid that if he wants to understand at the end of the day, the commonalities between all of us, we can't go and start relying on power and authority and, and, and judgment. And a discussion takes place. Now, does that last forever? I don't know. But for those police officers in that sweat that night and the community members that were there and for that young boy, I think that was an incredibly powerful experience of just connecting at the human level, of having a dialogue that was different than any he had ever had. I had another instance where we were in a training opportunity and we were in a healing circle with a group of women who were serving time. And the discussion came around to why do police officers come in and steal their kids? And so the, this was the language that was being used and, and, you know, about the pain and the agony and all the things that had happened when children were being apprehended. Mm. And there were two detectives sitting in the circle. And if you've ever been in a healing circle, it's, it's, you're very exposed and, 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 you know, it's a lot of trust yes. that has to happen. And there were these two senior detectives there and they were, you could see really getting agitated. And then, someone made a comment and he turned to this woman he said have you ever wondered how I felt when I had to go in and make that apprehension how horrified I was that I was separating a child from its parent how horrified I was at the chaos and the 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 emotion I don't ever want to do that again I have nightmares about that and he had tears in his eyes he actually started to cry not sobbing, breakdown, crying, mm -hmm. but tears were flowing. And there were a couple of women in the group. They just, they looked at this officer and they said, I've never thought about your perspective. Hmm. And he said, well, that's the point, I guess, of being in this healing circle is can we share perspectives? What can we learn from each other so that neither of us have to go through this? Now, the other officer then went on to share his pain in the same sort of way. There were other officers in the group. Yeah, they weren't buying into it. And there were women in the group. They weren't buying into it. But at the end of that healing circle, those officers and those women hugged each other. Beautiful. And talked. And talked at a level that is different. And so when, when people are... Um, talking about defunding police, for example, they're using language of things that I'm going, you're asking the wrong question or you're calling yes. for the wrong thing. 
Don't ask to defund the police. Ask for justice. Ask for clarity. Ask to get to the roots of why we've lost human connection and what we need to do so that these conversations are not necessary. And then we have something to talk about. Now, to do that, that means police are going to have to um, be in some level of discomfort and accept that they're going to have to hear the voices of people who are in pain and angry and do not see them as people. Mm-hmm. You can't have the conversation about what you're doing as a person if you're not even seen as people. And that goes the opposite direction. Are you seeing the people in front of you? Are you seeing their hurt? Are you hearing the cries for help? If we want to really get at these things, we're going to have to take off our masks. We're going to have to open up to the courage of having real hard discussions. We have to come at it from a problem-solving perspective. And, and it can't be about trying to trap people into saying words that are not helpful. Backing people into corners, that's not going to solve anything for anyone. My challenge for any Canadian is, do you actually understand our own history? Are you aware of the Indian Act and what it says? Are you aware of the history of the residential school system? Are you willing to have the real discussions about what's going on in these communities? And if you are, then are you also willing to have the discussion about how we treat mental health? how we treat homelessness, how we treat poverty. Because these things that we say are important and that we want police to stop doing horrible things to, why are they on the streets? Why are they being ignored? Why why is mental health um, something that's secondary rather than... So ask for mental health, ask for justice, ask for conversation and dialogue and action. Beautiful. Well, Marnie, I mean, I've got so many things, um, but yeah, we still have a lot of ground to cover on other aspects of what we want to talk about here as it solely relates to you, your book, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but I appreciate you connecting the dots like that because it is interconnected. It is multifaceted. It is multilayered. So you can't just tackle one hub of the problem without looking at all the other interconnected tentacles that are associated with that. Because, you know, people's outrage, whether it's, you know, part and parcel of racial uh, reasons, circumstances, you know, when we are looking at the most fragile of our community, we're looking at the most vulnerable populations of people. When we're talking about people who are marginalized and oppressed, that too has brought into question some of the disputes, the arguments, the positions as it relates to police Uh, and people at higher levels of power with those who are most vulnerable, knowing that there is uh, an unequal distribution of power. Uh, Voices get heard, other voices do not get heard. Decision-making with policymakers trumps out a whole nation or a sector or a demographic or a population of people with a collective voice who have for years been saying the same things. And what, what are we all demanding? equality. What do we all need as a basic need? We all need to be seen. We all need to be heard. We all need to know that we have a seat at the table. And so when people are treated as second-class citizens, or we're still working in this divisiveness of us and them, and um, different classes of people, different distinctions, and therefore 
people get crumbs. Other people, they get creme de la creme. You know, mm-hmm. it, these are all things that need to be factored in. It's not just what we're seeing on the cameras at nauseum uh, on TV with what's right. happened with George Floyd and, and other fallout as a result of that with other officers and, and other disputes and other fatalities. So, and it's as Will, Will Smith said, I uploaded this not long ago to social media. It's, you know, it, it's not that racism is getting worse, it's getting filmed. Right. And I was going to say, we're, we're in a time when the um, stitches of the fabric of our society are being stretched. Yes. And, and we have a level of divisiveness in our rhetoric that is unbelievable. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I look at social media, for example. During the election, I basically had to turn it off. It was like, I want to have dialogue, not diatribe. Mm. And and um, I want to be able to look at these issues in a realistic way. And that means that I have to bear the brunt of what has been my privilege. But I also need to be able to work with people. So if every attempt I make to try and address it gets shot down as uh, liberalism or uh, tokenism, then we have nowhere to go. Mm-hmm. So... That there's hard discussions that have to occur, and it's not surprising that it's happened in this time. Mm-hmm. All of us are feeling the, the the fear and the stretch of our comfort zones. Absolutely. We don't know what's on the other side of this pandemic. We don't know if there is another side of this pandemic. We, you know, and um, what this is showing us, which has always been true. The things that existed that weren't so good for some groups of people are now more obvious because more of us are facing the possible consequences of it. Mm-hmm. Well, I appreciate you saying that too. And I think this is something that you and I have talked behind the scenes about, and I have talked about it with other guests on radio. You know, whether we're talking about some of these other issues, oftentimes, you know, it's not a matter of how compassionate are people at the individual level. Oftentimes, you know, whether we're looking at ad hoc groups, we're looking at laws, we're looking at bylaws, we're looking at policies, we're looking at all of these things. A lot of people don't rally and aren't fully plugged in because it's not their own experience. It doesn't mean that they're uh, disconnected from caring. It doesn't mean that if there isn't something that they get asked to do as opposed to them voluntarily stepping up and going, well, I may not be able to identify with that plight, that mission or that atrocity, but it's still another human being. And let's face it, we could all be in that boat. But what I'm seeing now is this is the first time, particularly in my lifetime, when we're talking about the global pandemic, when we're talking about COVID-19 specifically, this is the first time that we can all truly empathize with each other because it's the only thing that I know of that we are all feeling encumbered by. It's it's the only thing where when we're talking about uh, economy, when we're talking about things coming to a grinding halt, we've all been impacted by that. So when somebody is talking about their individual fallout, other people, whether they can relate to those specific circumstances or not, on some level they can identify because it's played out differently. The same thing has played out differently in their own home or their own company or their own bank account or their own health. So 
you know, let's talk a little bit about that. I'd be interested to know from your perspective, Marnie, do you think in light of all this upheaval uh, and all this outrage and backlash and all these things that are happening almost like they're in succession of one another. It's like every day you wake up, it's like, what's next? What do I have to mark myself safe from today? Right? So do you, are you seeing a shift for the better where people are actually awakening to the reality of what has been broken and, and what conversations do need to take place and what change does fundamentally need to occur? Or do you still see this as a result of people being asleep at the, at the switch? Oh, wow. There's another loaded question. You're full of them today. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, I'm an opinionated person, so I guess I'll I love it. <laughs> um, well, I think it's a combination of both. Yes. I think um, I'll use the analogy of travel. There are many reasons why people travel. And some of it might be as simple as they just need to unplug from their current situation and be able to relax and not think about work. And some people travel to go see the places that they've heard about all their lives and to learn about the culture and history of, of other places. Some people travel to push themselves into the unknown and to learn more about the history and of why things went sideways in other countries. What we're seeing, and some people go because they really want to make an impact on the world and an impact on themselves. And that's the transformative power of travel. Yes. And that requires work. That requires consciousness. That requires risk. It requires putting yourself into circumstances and places where you don't know the rules. Well, guess what? 2020, we're all on that journey of we don't know the rules. We don't know what's in front of us. So some of us are going to retreat to our homes and to our safety and our comfort. And we're going to be quite content to let it pass by. Mm -hmm. And other people are going to try and carry on as normal. And say, you know what, I'm not going to be beat down by this beast. I'm going to go out and do the things that I need to do. Some of that has a real self-centered, um, oblivious to the community kind of tone to it, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. And so then other people are looking at it and saying, oh, my God, if I didn't understand before that the people that live on this globe we call Earth are connected to each other, and if I didn't understand before that we now are in the lives of each other, we're no longer talking about nations. We're talking about economies across the world. We're talking about history across the world, about movements across the world. Well, that's because we can travel across the world and we actually know each other. We mm -hmm. actually understand that when we talk about the travel industry ground to a halt here, and I'm kind of, you know, antsy and going, gosh, I really want to go on a travel trip. The guide that I had in Madagascar who was feeding three families, that's gone. He lives in one of the poorest countries of the world. He has no so so social security to fall back on. There are no programs stepping in to helping them. What's wonderful is that people who have traveled are stepping up and sending um, money through the organizations that deal with those guides and saying, look, I want to support the charities in these countries. I want to support these people who took me on these incredible experiences. I know that he's supporting three families. How mm -hmm. can I help him now? 
So we see everybody responding in different ways. And I think that the majority of people are at least aware of some dynamics they maybe never were. So when we talk about cruises and we talk about, you know, um, the kind of money that we spend, but we never talk, or most of us don't talk about the fact that they come into ports of call. Almost no money goes into that port of call. It does very little to support the actual local economy. They're designed to keep the, the money on the cruises and in the resorts. So it's the same sort of thing. Are you a responsible traveler in this world? Are you paying attention to what the needs of other people are? Are you willing to sacrifice some things for yourself? Or is it all about self-centered as long as I'm in okay? Um, nothing else has to be talked about. I'm a Rotarian. I joined a couple of years ago. And this is a worldwide movement of people who are trying to reach out and understand and support other people. And sometimes we do a really good job of it and sometimes maybe not so good, but we're getting better. And the real reason why that occurs is because people are sharing what they need from around the globe with each other. So it's not about people coming in and saying, well, I know best of how to help you out. It's a reaching out of hands and saying, you tell me what you need mm -hmm. and I will help facilitate that because I'm sitting in a place where I have some advantages right now. I can help you, but you have to tell me what you need. That's very different than, let's say, some of the charities that go in and say, we're going to tell you what life should look like. We're going to define success. We're going to define what um, religion you should practice or how you should see the world. So, are we more woke? I don't know. I think that the people who are woke are, are looking at the world in a certain way and the people who don't want to be woke, they're going to find their comfort zones and they're going to nestle into those. Wonderful. Good answer. Good answer. So another thing that I'm going to say too, uh, I probably touched upon this in our initial first interview, which I don't even know how long ago that was because I have no concept of time. Um, but the one thing, I mean, I love many things and respect many things about you, Marnie, but when we talk about the subject matter of travel um, and, and you feeling very much akin to it, I love you know, most people, when they hear travel, you know, they think travel agencies, they think, you know, hot spots, they think glitz, glamour, um, you know, things that have a little bit more, I don't know, zeal to it. But what I love about you is you're all about the people and you're all about unearthing the culture and you go into it with I don't profess to know a lot there was enough for me to know that there was definite reason for why I wanted to pick this particular place in which to go hike or to plant with the people or to connect with the people but that's what I love about you you know you take you take travel to a deep meaningful purpose-driven level which a lot of people don't when they talk about travel or they talk about their trips or even they talk about why they're so jazzed for their upcoming trip but when I talk to you and we have the conversations about travel I always know it's going to be a real a real down-to-earth what really matters in this world kind of conversation because everything I know about you, Marnie, whether we're talking about travel specifically or any plight mission cause committee that you align yourself with, it's always about 
what can we do that's for the collective good? What, what can we do to shift change for all of us? And how can I be an instrument of change within that, knowing that I do have privilege or I do have money or I do have time and I'm able-bodied and I can roll up my sleeves? You don't go on a vacation to have a fiesta. You go on a vacation because you want to learn and you want to cultivate change and you want to be part of the solution. That's what I love about you. Well, thank you. Uh, you know, just just to be uh, clear, I have gone on the fiesta. I know you have. I know <laughs> and you I've have had great times with it. Um, I think that there's a time and a purpose for travel, and that's what you have to ask when you're planning something: is what is my purpose of this travel? Mm-hmm. For me, what I found is I started out, you know, very traditional travel, um, but I started traveling solo when I was 14. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that solo travel does for you now, that doesn't mean I'm guided on, you know, but I was traveling with groups where I didn't know anybody. And um, what that forces you to do is to become a student of the world in a different way, mm-hmm. because you have to rely on asking people for help and paying attention to what's going on with you. And you can't just fall back on all the old safety nets. And so when I started traveling internationally solo, um, you know, people would say to me, oh, my God, how can you do that? Like, that's so scary. And and I look at that and say, well, when you travel solo, you start to meet other solo travelers. And most of them are out there to find out about the world and themselves Mm -hmm. to grow. And um, you know what? I love to go to the museums and to do things. But, yeah, the people, that's where... That's where it really, um, the magic happens. And part of that is being willing to make a fool out of yourself and to accept that you're going to do things wrong. I've done some spectacularly stupid things. <laughs> um, you know, I was in Ireland and I was on the train and, and I met a group of guys who were doing a stag weekend and they were drinking fairly heavy and they invited me into the party so I joined them and and we're chatting and I said hey you know I have Irish background as well and they said really and I said yeah I said my family comes from um up in the north and I named this area dead silence (laughs) and and the one guy looks at me and he says then you have no Irish background you're British and this, you know, this party, this fun atmosphere instantly changed. And I, and I went like, oh, okay, you're right. You know, like I treated it like the conflict in Ireland was a little bit of a um, territorial dispute. This is people who had been at war with each other forever. Mm-hmm. And so I now know I have no Irish background. I have Northern Irish background. And I have to learn what that means. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, in, in Belfast, I was staying at a hotel, every taxi driver who took me there, I would give them the address and they'd say, that's not possible. And I'd say, yes, it is. And they'd say, there's no hotel there. And I say, yes, there is. There actually is. I've been staying there. <laughs> and they'd say, but, but why there? And I'd say, because that's where the hotel is, right? And we'd go in this circular argument. And I was like, what's going on? What's going on? I found out after I'd been there a couple of days, I was two blocks from the area where the most murders had happened in Belfast. So it was the area, the dividing line between um, the two groups and where they frequently mixed 
and and had battles and and um, ended up with lots and lots and lots of deaths. And so here were these people going, oh, man, she's sitting on the fault line. <laughs> and she doesn't have a clue, right? She doesn't have a clue. And I'm like, blah, 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 blah. Hey, I'm Northern Irish, right? <laughs> Love it. Oh, man. And, and, you know, I've gone into countries and been trying to speak the wrong language. And, I, <laughs> you know, and you learn very quickly, like, that's not going to fly. Right. And I've had these great conversations with people where none of us speak the language and they all leave. And I'm sitting there going, I wonder what they think we were just talking about. <laughs> right. Um, you know, I'm going around snapping pictures of people and I turn around and realize they're taking pictures of me. Oh, I'm just as weird and unique to them. Right. As they are to me. Right. The stories that they share, the, the openness like doing a homestay, going in and staying with people, talking to the young people and their hopes and dreams, mm -hmm. just giving people an opportunity to try languages. When I travel, one of the first things I do, learn how to say thank you, please, and where is the toilet? <laughs> and, I'm, and I'm sorry, which is perfect because you're Canadian. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, I have asked for the washroom. And uh, ended up in places that had a sink, but no toilet. Um, <laughs> That'll do. I've ended up in places that, you know, I've asked for the toilet. And, of course, you walk in and it's a hole in the ground. And the first time I encountered that, I went back out and said, no, I'm looking for the toilet. <laughs> <laughs> and they're pointing at it and saying, there it is. Well, There it know, is. I, I walked out. There was no way I was going to go and, and use a hole, right? That was not my experience. Next time, I was on a bus tour that time. Next time we stopped. Well, now I'm desperate. Yeah. We go in. Where's the toilet? They point us. There's the holes in, in the floor, you know, in the ground. It's actually a reasonable uh, setup. But this time there's no doors on the stalls, <laughs> Right? Well, we've all been holding it for four hours. We have no choice. Right. And I, I learned at that point, when you're traveling, one of the real bonuses of it is when you hit your uncomfortable points, you don't get to just magically make it disappear. You have to adjust. Mm. So when I wrote my book and people read it, I had a number of people say to me, oh, you know, that was kind of interesting. But I would never travel like that. And I keep laughing and saying, I didn't actually mean to travel like that in some instances. <laughs> Sometimes it just happens. Yeah. But what I have learned is to roll with that. Yeah. Well, and that's the adventure. I mean, that's half well, exactly. the adventure, right? Like, if everything is, like, itinerary-based, where's the adventure? Exactly, right? right? And I have I have met people from all over the world sitting on a corner. Um, I spent an afternoon just sitting at Trafalgar Square one time. Mm -hmm. And I literally met people from all over the world. Now, as you can tell, I'm someone who will strike up the conversation. There's more than a few people that have pictures of me going, and that's the crazy lady that sat amongst <laughs> the pigeons and talked to everybody. That's a Western Canadian thing that most people don't understand. Right? <laughs> You've got to learn to deal with rejection. Ah, don't take it personally. You right. know what? They label me crazy. That's okay because the next person I meet turns out to be the person that I travel with for the next three days and that I share meals with. And that when I go to their home country, they entertain me, or they come to my country and I entertain them. Beautiful. 
there's there's it's just the human connection absolutely and and what i really love and admire about you too um is you know you're such a a purporter of the solo traveling especially as a woman because a lot of people in your situation with that vision with that passion um you know, you do get met with judgment and you do get met with resistance. And it doesn't matter if it comes from a good place in terms of, oh, well, you know what, like you're higher risk because you're a female traveling alone. Or, you know, isn't that going to be lonely for you? Don't you think you should have a traveling companion? Like people just don't get it, right? Like you're not the type of person who is, is disempowered right? You don't buy into the rhetoric of that. It's not like you're doing anything that's putting yourself at unnecessary risk. You're not being foolish. You know, you're well-traveled, you're well-researched, you do your homework, but you're also open to anything, as you've already cited through your funny examples, can go awry, but there's always a takeaway. There's always a lesson. And yes, you do grow uh, deeper as a person, Right. You're, you right. you have, right. And then you can, and, and then because of all your traveling experiences and because you have a backbone and because you're thick skinned and you're confident, um, you know, who can you not then identify with? Who can you not resonate with? Who can you not relate to? Right. Because you're always coming down to other people's level, um, as we're equal and I want to learn something about you. You know, it doesn't matter what books I've read or what I've researched. I want to hear it out of your mouth. You, this is your homeland. You know, you tell me the lay of the land. You show me how things work here. I'm interested. Right. right? But I, I also want to say too, Marnie, because being cognizant of time, I want to talk about Little Bird Learns to Fly. And I think more so than ever, that is such a symbolic book for the times that we currently sit in. Um, and I think it actually does more justice and I think will resonate with more people at the heart soul level uh, because people, I think, have come into their fragility now as a result of what they're going through. People are tapped into their vulnerability. Uh, people are tapped into looking at the deeper layers and levels of things that perhaps they were too oblivious to because they were on the treadmill of life and, you know, they weren't paying attention to feelings or abstract or uh, deeper life lesson messaging that couldn't um, really be instrumental in our own growth, our own development or our own healing journey, or just opening our eyes to the rest of the world. Again, everything is interconnected. So let's talk about that book and let's talk about from the timing of you having written that book to how it might now in current times, even take on as you, the author, a deeper level of, wow, like I'm seeing more about this book than I even did before as a result of current times. Let's talk about your perspective on the book and whatever you wish to share. Sure, so a bit of history. I was three months into travel and I was exhausted. I chose to go to um, an island in Indonesia, so I was in Lombok. And I chose on that particular occasion to not engage with anyone, I don't know why. I was just exhausted and I was reflective and I was kind of asking myself, what's this all mean? You've had these incredible experiences and you've seen these amazing places, but does it mean anything? And I spent the day walking around the island. It's a small island. You can walk it in an hour or two. And uh, went to bed and woke up in the morning and there was a bird chirping, 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 chirping. And I was kind of like, shut up. <laughs> <laughs> and the bird didn't shut up. 
and it kept going and kept going and kept going. And I was laying there thinking, what is so freaking important that you have to keep talking like this? <laughs> and so for some reason, I grabbed my iPad and I started recording what I thought the bird was saying to me. And I just wrote. I didn't think about it. I just wrote. The pattern was there and this story emerged. And when I read it, I realized I had just written an autobiography in a prose form. And it You're was brilliant. really, it was like, and it was about this little bird who always did the right thing. She always flew straight. So she flew straight because that's how success was achieved, was by hard work. And by staying close to the family, she was surrounded by love and by staying secure. And But she always wondered, well, what if I turned right or what if I turned left? And what if I did these other things? And so the first part of the poem is really about people saying to, oh, no, you can't go do that little bird because there's these things that we want you to be in comfort and we want you to be cared for. And these are the things that our society and our family and our ourselves we tell each other and it's a wonderful place to be but there was always a part of me that was saying is there something more is there more meaning to this what do I need to do to take the next step mm -hmm. and so the second part of it is little bird goes off on an adventure and she meets different characters and each time they answer the questions so now she says well what if I go right well I forget how to find my way home and she meets an eagle who's traveling with a worn backpack and she's a world traveler bird. And she gives her some advice about how to look at putting yourself out. And the difference is from success to fulfillment. Mm -hmm. And another bird talks about from security to courage, from commitment to devotion, from contribution to legacy, from dreams to destiny and so there's there's two sides to the story and in the second part of the story little bird is challenging herself and saying what is it that makes something more and um so people who know me read the story i shared it with some people and they went oh my god you know this is you yes but it's me yes and so then we started to have the conversations well why is it you and so when I decided to publish it, I hired an editor and, you know, some people that are helping me. I've got an artist. And we started to have the conversation and that forced me to be more attuned to what is it that other people want to hear? What are the messages they need to hear? Mm. I want people to experience this book, not just read it. So one of the goals I have in mind is it's an illustrated book because it's brilliant. The artists I have for bringing these things forward. And there's a lot of symbolism. So for example, I talk about what if I fly in the opposite direction? Well, that takes place with an owl on a baobab tree, which of course, if you know, is known as the upside down tree. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's all these symbolisms of, of things where, you know, pushing back at sort of how we define life and what it is that we want. And that vague sense that there must be something more. And, so I shared it with a friend and she said, well, I relate to the first part, but I failed on the second part. And I was like, well, no, just a minute. You're one of the people I had in mind when I was writing the second part. What's happening? So I had to go back in again and read through the story and say, what's, what's the disconnect? And then come back and say, okay, I get it. You actually don't see 
that you've done these things because I've put the story in the context of travel. But my friend, you're one of the people who has experienced these things. You've traveled, you've been a survivor of cancer, you have uh, picked up your life and moved to different locations. You, you put yourself back out into the world for a love relationship after a bad divorce. All of these things are what Little Bird is talking about. Mm-hmm. My context is travel. Travel is the language that, it's the analogy that I use because it's really easy to draw life lessons from them. Mm-hmm. But Little Bird is about the life lessons that we all have as we're going through life. About the things that say, it's great to be content, but do you want to push it above that? Do you want to have fulfillment instead of just success? Um, and so I'm really excited about it. The thing I want people to do is first read it from the perspective of read it and what does it say to you? Then I want them to read it and say, what didn't it say the first time that now I see what symbol symbolism, what's What's really being driven at here? And have I paid attention to those things? Then I want them to take a young child and read it to them. Now, they're going to have to change some of the language. But explain to a child these principles of of life. And what would you say to them? And I've had friends do this, and it's very successful. And then I want you to take a young person who's starting out in life. And I want you to have that conversation with them. What do they see in this book? What are you willing to let that person do? How, how willing are you to, to not be the first part of the poem, but to be the mentors in the back part of the poem that are going to help other people on their journey? Because wow. at the end of the day, if we're not all helping each other out, we're holding each other back. Absolutely. It's, that's powerful and brilliant messaging. I applaud you. I think that's one of the best ideas premises for a book and the way that you laid it out and you know the bird being the analogy the symbol that we can all identify with and I love your messaging even more so than ever before and you know that I was like staunch 100% this is great this is fantastic but I think in light of what we're all going through right now everybody's in this place of reevaluating and reassessing priorities um you know wanting to do things differently so that they're not faced with having to live with regret, recognizing that life is so short and because we're now embarking upon a new normal, whatever that looks like, um, you know, we do have to change our mindsets. We do have to change the ways in which we look at the world and our relationship to it. So therefore we're going deep within and we're going, okay, what was I perhaps too complacent on before? What was I oblivious to before? To what degree was I just robotically maneuvering my life every single day, week after week, month after month, year after year, to the point where I wasn't actually alive? I wasn't, right. I wasn't in alignment with the things that when I say, uh, you know, I'm impassioned by, or I'm on fire by, or I'm enamored by, or I'm curious about, or, you know, whatever the case may be. Well, now is this time of self-reflection, self-examination and going, okay, when everything safely lifts and we're out of the gate and we're chomping at the bit, your book is, is a good parlay into and a good segue to going, how could that apply to the decisions I make going forward? How can I be more fulfilled and purpose-driven 
as an individual? How can I think more deeply, more abstractly? How can I enhance and enrich my relationships, not only with myself, but with other people so that there is more of a, a connection versus a disconnect with my fellow human being? I think your book is brilliant. Well, thank you. I'm, You're I'm brilliant. Oh, thank you. <laughs> I'm, um, I'm really excited about it because that story was there and I came home, I wrote my other book, How a Gorilla, Orphan and Monk Saved My Life, which yes. is really about the story of my travels through Asia and Africa. And then I wrote the um, solo travel book. And that's really about, you know, giving people techniques about how to um, travel solo and how to actually meet people, protect your safety, deal with the naysayers and all those things. But Little Bird, that's my heart. That's my, that's my, um, I guess, if you will, I, I see that. That's my legacy, I hope. Yeah. I hope that when people read this, they look at that and they inspire themselves and they inspire other people. And also that they recognize the things that they've already done. Don't buy into the definitions of what the rest of other people are saying makes you fulfilled. Yes. It it might not be that you're a billionaire. It might not be that you have celebrity. It might not be that you change the world uh, on a broader level, but maybe you raise good good children, good good citizens. Maybe you um work with charities that that save other people's lives. Maybe you contribute in small ways. Comparison is is um what's the quote? It's the the thief of um, happiness or something like that. Yeah. Right. What, what I want you to do is to focus on challenging yourself and celebrating yourself. Beautiful. Beautiful. Well, I think you've definitely accomplished that, my friend. Absolutely. Um, being cognizant of time again, Marnie, I want to give you an opportunity for the benefit of the international listeners and the podcast subscribers. Where can people connect with you? Where can people buy your content? Where can people have an initial consultation with you or find out more about you either directly or indirectly? So um, my uh, book, How a Gorilla, Orphan and Monk Saved My Life is available on Amazon mm -hmm. in both book and Kindle uh, format. And um, you can reach me at www.transformthejourney.com or marnie at transformthejourney.com. And um, I'm looking to find ways to dialogue with people. And so in the very near future, I'm going to be setting up um, some sort of blog and I'm looking at uh, like an online book club and ways for us to actually have real dialogue. Not, not diatribe, dialogue. <laughs> Love it. Yeah, screw the rhetoric. Let's get to the, the meat and potatoes of what really matters. Like, let's have an actual conversation, right? right. So I just want to say your life, I mean, clearly your, you depict, you underscore what living fearlessly is. You embody that wholeheartedly. But what does living fearlessly mean to you, Marnie? Um, it means to me that you shift challenges mm -hmm. into opportunities and in doing so you transform the journey. Love that. It, it's, it's really about life has hard times. That's the fact. Mm -hmm. But what can we learn from them? How do we take those challenges? How do we shift them into something that is meaningful 
and drives ourselves and, and, and our communities forward? And then how do we transform the journey so that what we're talking about is, like you said, when we arrive at the end of our days, it's not with regret. It mm -hmm. might be with a few stories of, uh, I really messed that up, but I did it. I had fun. I was trying. Um, I'll own my mistakes because they were, they were made in yes. to learn. Absolutely. Absolutely brilliant. Well, Marnie, I could talk to you, as you know, for hours at nauseum, and you always have an open standing invitation to come back to Living Fearlessly with Lisa McDonald. And who knows, by the time we schedule that, what else you've pumped out, banged out. I mean, because you're just like full throttle. You're all in. And I love your energy. It's so infectious. And I learned so much from you. Um, and I just, I think you're a spitfire. And I just love how you're so integral with yourself. Uh, you're very clear on who you are. You make no apologies for it. You make no allowances for it. You're very proud. You show up um, and you do so much in terms of paying it forward and, and being of service to other people. And I think that's, you know, that's your superpower. I mean, I don't even know what to pick your superpower as because there's just so many. I mean, you're the whole you're the whole superpower team. <laughs> but I just want to say that I'm really in awe of you. I'm so humbled uh, and grateful to know you and to have grown and expanded as a person because of my relationship with you. And I just want to commend you on all your accomplishments. But more importantly, all the accomplishments that you have achieved, they're all indicative of something that's really purpose-driven it's got teeth it's got legs and it's for the benefit of the collective so I love that I, I just love that even the things that you personally do to strive to show up as the best most improved version of yourself the gift is that you always it, it's something that benefits everybody it's not just for your own indulgence and I love that about you well thank you Lisa and I've um, been very fortunate to surround myself with people such as yourself who help bring that part out. You don't shine on your own. You have to work with other people. And it's looking for the authentic self and the people who let that authentic self shine out. So thank you for letting me do that. Well, thank you. I just got goosebumps. Thank you. So to the loyal listeners uh, and to the podcast subscribers, I want to thank you so very much for tuning in once again uh, to this lovely interview that I had the privilege and the honor of doing with Marnie Allison. I highly encourage you to reach out to her, to buy her book, to connect with her. Uh, you'll thank yourself. Your future self will thank you. And I just want to say I'm very clear on my purpose. My purpose is to uplift you to fear less and to live more. So until next Friday, when we're joined by yet another phenomenal guest, I wish you great health, great safety, and uh, continue to be uplifted. All my best, love, and gratitude, and to you as well, Marnie. Take care. Bye-bye. Hey, this is Al Cole from CBS Radio thanking you once again for taking time out of your hectic schedules to tune in to another fantastic weekly episode of Living Fearlessly with Lisa McDonald. Another shout out of wholehearted gratitude to Living Fearlessly with Lisa McDonald's corporate sponsors, Helton Honda, Forever, and Aha That. Your reviews, clicks, shares, downloads, feedback, and testimonials are always appreciated. Lisa's purpose and mission is to uplift you to fearless and to live more. To appear as a prospective guest on Living Fearlessly with Lisa McDonald or to connect with Lisa regarding her suite of products and services, you can reach Lisa at livingfearlesslywithlisa.com. 
CBSRadio.com. And until next week, our fearless friends, this is Al Cole from CBS Radio telling you to be your own hero, be your own hero, be your own leader, and be your own best friend. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.